you know, Drew was telling me right before service that uh, Sunday school, Rob asked me, says, well, what's your dad preaching on? Drew said, I bet it's from Psalms. And it is, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Just sometimes you get your mind somewhere, you get to doing some study, and God just kind of keeps showing things from that. And I've certainly enjoyed preaching the last little bit through the book of Psalms. And uh, looking forward to sharing you with what the Lord's laid on my heart here this morning, Psalm 73. 28 verses in this psalm, and I do want to read it. I may not read it as we go through it, but I do want to read it as the text before we uh, before we get into this. But I'm going to preach on faith, fools, and foes. There's a whole bunch of Fs as we get along here because I had too much fun alliterating the outline. So there's a whole lot of Fs when we get along. So faith, fools, and foes. Let's begin Psalm 73 and verse number 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My feet, or my, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than, uh, than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither. The waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then under, understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me up by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they, are far off, uh, they that are far off from thee shall perish, Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from me. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. You know, one type of story that we were just so naturally drawn to is the stories about overcomers. 
the people, they defy the odds. They meet the challenges that face them. Getting that time of year for March Madness, and it's about the only time I really pay attention to basketball. Uh, I do enjoy the March Madness and uh, all the crazy things that happen with the tournament. There have been some crazy things I saw happen in some of these, you know, the uh, different conference tournaments and things. But uh, at least for the first few rounds of March Madness, the tournament, you'll hear a lot about underdogs and overcomers. There, there'll be these small schools that overcome the odds and defeat these powerhouse uh, schools. Uh, th there'll be some walk-on, some guy that didn't get a scholarship that you know other schools ignored, but he he'll hit the game-winning three-pointer to put his team into the next round. There'll be somebody who's got some kind of injury and they fight through it and they play through it and they lead their team to victory and uh, those kind of stories of overcoming, we're just we're drawn to. It's one of the beauties of sports and why we're so sucked into following this because we love these kind of stories. There's another type of overcomer that doesn't get the kind of fame like the overcomers of the sports world. In fact, many of these overcomers, they don't like to boast about themselves. They, they usually don't publish books or get movies made about them. And Except maybe their closest friends. Maybe the only ones that know what they've overcome. These are the ones that overcome a challenge that cannot be seen. They didn't slam dunk over a tall player. They didn't, they're not a David defeating a Goliath. These overcomers are the ones that overcome battles within themselves. By the way, I believe those battles are the most difficult. I believe these overcomers are the ones that are the strongest. I'll take these overcomers. Anybody can put a ball in the hoop any day. These are the ones that overcome addiction that overcome lust, that overcome despair, hatred, depression, all these things. Honestly, they deserve so much more accolades than they receive. Our text this morning is a story of one of these internal battles and someone who overcame it. The writer of the psalm is Asaph. He shares with us, he's very open, very candid about what he went through in this battle. By the way, I think we can all relate to it. Here he is. He's a, if you read up on him, and I'm not going to read all the references and things, but if you read up on him, you go to Second Chronicles and, and a few other places, they'll talk about him. He's a priest of God. And uh, in the days of David, he's mentioned when they bring the ark back to, uh, the, to Jerusalem, when they establish the temple worship services, he's part of that. He's a gifted musician. He's one of the leaders of the temple choir. He wrote 12 psalms. He's number two on the list of people who wrote the most psalms. David wrote 75 plus. We're sure of 75 of those. We don't know. Maybe a few that we don't, or, you know, don't have a title. We don't know. But at least 75 written by David. So he wrote 12. He's number two. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good place to be in that list. His legacy and his impact, honestly, are still seen. If you go over to Nehemiah and Ezra, you'll see his descendants are still part of the musicians and the choir in the temple when they rebuild the temple after the captivity period. So his impact goes on for centuries on his what he did in serving God, his love for his family, his love for God. And 
with a resume like that, I think we all agree he must have been a very good man. Very, I won't say Christian, but he was a Jew before that time. But he was a good religious man, loved God. But here in this psalm, we find him humbly telling part of his own spiritual struggles. It's a story of a man with a crisis of faith. He looked at the world around him and he wondered, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is serving God, does it really matter? Look at all everybody else. They seem to be doing plenty well. I'm suffering and all the wicked are prospering. Can you relate to that? You ever been there? I, I sure have. You look at everybody else and wonder, is this really worth it? For most of us, I think this is a battle. We're, I don't even know if it's so much a battle as much as a war. We're going to continually fight from time to time as we, we may get discouraged or, or get disillusioned at times. And I want to look at this morning how Asaph overcame his doubt. And I think in this psalm, like some of these other ones we've been looking at recently, there's an order and a progression and we can see the journey that he went on, and I think we can learn from it. I think we can find help and encouragement in his words. First thing I want us to see is in verse number one, and this is the fact unfelt. The fact unfelt. I told you there's a lot of S, okay? Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He's just going to say, this is the truth. It's the truth. That is a true statement. The problem is he's going to doubt that as he goes on, but he knows this is the truth. By the way, here's the thing about truth, and especially God's truth. It's true whether you feel it or not. Just because I may feel like the world is ending doesn't mean it's ending. I think of the old, if it's Brenda Lee up and saying, anybody know it's the end of the world? Anybody up with 50 I like that song. Um, it's the end of the world because we're sweetheart brother. It wasn't the end of the world. We're still singing that song 60 years later, you know. I figured I'd get a better response out of y'all from that one. Just because I feel like God doesn't care doesn't mean that that's true. Just because I feel like serving God doesn't matter doesn't mean that 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 it's not. I can guarantee from the truth of God's word that God is not wrong. Even when we think He might be, He's still right. What He does is best. What He says is true. What He promises will happen. By the way, my own experience, I can testify to that. Every time He's been put to the test, He's been proven true. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we wander astray. Sometimes we begin to doubt the truth. But doubt does not negate the truth. Somebody said, you know, God said it, I believe it, there it's true. No, actually the true statement is God said it, therefore it's true. No matter whether I believe it or not, it's still true because He said it. But just because I doubt doesn't mean it's not true. God is good. He has been good to you and me. He is good to you and me. And He will continue to be good to you and me. That's the fact. The problem we're going to see is Asaph kind of forgets it. He's going to doubt it. But I like the way he starts this out. He says, here's the truth. 
and I'm going to get back to it, but I know what the truth is. And by the way, don't we know the truth? That's the problem. We know it. We just don't always feel it, don't always live it. So that's where we start out with the fact unfelt that God is good. The second section, this is the longest section. I've got this as verses 2 through 15. I'm not going to read those again for the sake of time. It's about half the half the, uh, the psalm here. But this is the foe unfazed. The foe unfazed. Here we see the human understanding of Asaph that caused him to doubt God. And he goes on and on and on about the wicked and how well they're doing. And it's just not fair. One of the things I was looking at, they described it as an overstatement. Why would he spend so much time on this? Well, he's, he's overemphasizing. He, he's really talking too much about this. But by the way, don't we get fixated on the wrong things sometimes? I've been there. And that's what he's doing. He's fixated on the wrong thing. One another one of those things in Psalms I think we can grab onto. Like, I relate to that. I've been there. I've done that. But he looks out at the wicked, the ungodly, the heathen. He asks, well, they've got it good. What, what, why does it matter? Why, why should I serve God? But they're the ones that seem to be getting all the, all the attention. They're the rich. They're the famous. <laughs> Nothing ever seems to go wrong for them. I always love that. Well, everything just goes right for them. Yeah, right. But in our view, it seems that way. Look, that person over there, look, they did a horrible thing, and yet God didn't strike them down. In fact, they got more money in their bank. They got more prestige than ever. Sometimes the world don't make sense. And you see his response in verses 13 through 15, kind of closing out this section. He says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. He says, why have I tried to live what is right? Why, why did I try to do what is right? All the day long I've been plagued, chasing them. I said, man, it's been hard to be serving God. And they've got it easy. He's jealous. He's confused. He's doubting the truth of God. Now, he won't say anything out loud. That's kind of verse 15. He says, if I speak so much, I'll offend. I'll hurt somebody. I can't say this out loud. This is all an internal battle within him. I say, can you relate to this? This is a very relatable psalm. You ever been there and looked out and said, boy, if I only had it like those people. My goodness, I'm serving God. I can barely pay the bills. And that joker over there, look at what he's doing. He's got a mansion and he's, you know, gets, gets the front uh, name on the uh, on the front page of the paper and gets all the fame and all the fortune. Wouldn't it be nice to sleep in on Sunday? Especially this Sunday with time change. Wouldn't it have been nice? Wouldn't it be nice to be there for the first kickoff of the ball game every Sunday, you know? Wouldn't it be nice? Hey, I can I can cheat, I can do wrong, I can hurt this person. They deserve it after all. We rationalize things, you know. But I'll just do it this one time, just to get ahead. It's a dog eat dog world, you know. So you gotta be careful around people. They're gonna stab you in the back. Sometimes we look at this and say, my goodness, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I going to church? Why am I trying to live for God? Why am I trying to do it? It's, just, it's not worth it. That's where Asaph was at in this. 
He's, he, he's in despair. He's confused. He doesn't know really what to do, but there's hope. And that's what we begin to see in the next section. The problem's been all laid out. And I didn't get into all the details about all the stuff they're saying there, but they're popular, they're prosperous, all these things. Asaph is jealous of them. But now he's going to get his eyes adjusted again. He's going to begin to see things in a new light. Because in the next section, section 3, we have the fate unfolded. The fate unfolded. Verses 16 through 20. When I thought to know this, it was too painful. I can't handle knowing that these people are prospering and I'm trying to do what's right and I'm suffering. Now, verse 17, this is key. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Where does the change take place? I think this is important. He goes to the house of God. Probably would have been the tabernacle uh, when this was written. Looks like this was probably written maybe when they were bringing the, uh, the, the, um, the ark back to Jerusalem and setting it up there at Jerusalem somewhere in that time period before the temple was built. So he goes there. He goes to the house of God. He draws close to God. He gets surrounded by spiritual things. You know, one of the things I love about going to camp is you take so much of the world away. There's no televisions going. There's just there's certain influences that just aren't there. And you just kind of unplug from everything. And what are you around? You're around Christian people. You're singing Christian songs. You're hearing preaching. There's something about doing that. We can all use a little bit of that. But he gets there. He hears the Word of God preached. He hears it sung. And then he has his light bulb moment. I love it when I have those. Like, oh, it makes sense now. I feel like the little kid in sixth grade learning the But Oh, a letter is a number. Wow, this is amazing. I like watching little kids when they're learning. Like, it makes sense now. You see their face light. Well, he has that moment. Suddenly he saw that those he had been jealous of, he sees them from a heavenly perspective. <laughs> oh, from an earthly perspective, it sure looked like they were prospering. sure looked like they were winning. But from a heavenly perspective, he saw they were really losing. We don't have to doubt it. By the way, God's already revealed the final score. We know who wins. By the way, if y'all see on the news, chasing all kinds of rabbits here this morning, y'all see on the news where the wrestling people are trying to get gambling going at the wrestling event, the WWE or whatever it's called now. I can't remember if it's WWE or WWF again. But anyway, they're wanting to gamble. Well, that's just, since you already know what's going to happen, that just doesn't seem like a, a very smart thing to do, but they're trying. Of course, everybody's just greedy for the money. Uh, you know, I thought it was crazy. Just like in wrestling, we already know who's going to win. We already know what's going to happen. It's already been predetermined. And unlike maybe the wrestling, they don't tell everybody. We know. God's already, God's already printed. You know, I remember back in the day, in the old days, the boys, you know, nowadays, man, I get the alerts on my, on my phone. The Rangers are about to play. Oh, the Rangers won. And all this, you know, get those scores. I remember the day when you had to get the newspapers. Old days, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. You had to get the newspaper the next day and get the box score. And see, oh, you know, how did this team do? Oh, did so-and-so hit a home run? You'll have to keep up with it that way. Well, listen, God's already printed the final box score for how it's going to end. God is going to be victorious. The wicked are going to lose. 
if it looks like the wicked are prospering, it's because the game is still going on. When the final trumpet sounds and all is over, God and His children will be victorious. Using a lot of sports metaphors, I guess it's March Madness and stuff, but I thought of uh, me and Dad took Drew a few years back to go see the Harlem Globetrotters. That's a show, man. That is, that is a good show. Uh, I have to admit, that's a lot of fun. And to go see the Harlem Globetrotters, they play the same team every night. It's actually now it's the Washington Generals. I think they changed it. Same team, but they changed their name. The Washington Generals. And some of the stuff they do is scripted. You can tell. They do the little where they run around circles with the ball and stuff. Some of it, some of it they, they do play a little real basketball, they say. There's some air quotes on that. But some of it, you watch, actually looks like they're actually trying. But the thing is, like, oh, at one point, the Globetrotters are going to be down. Oh, no, it's a close game. Go study the history of the Harvard Globetrotters. You know how many times they've ever lost? And I swear that had to have been set up, you know, just to get the news that they finally lost. We know who's going to win. Listen, when it comes to the end of all things, God, who, by the way, is already there because he's outside the time, he knows what's going to happen. His plan will happen. What he says happen will happen. Prophecy is just pre-written history. He says he will be victorious. He says we will be with him. We will rule and reign with him. He says we will be in a blessed place. But in the end, what really matters is being with him. All this stuff now, my goodness, that's just like being up 20 to nothing in the first uh, first quarter of a football game. That don't matter if you end up losing 60 to 20. That's the situation we have down here. Just from our perspective, it looks like things are going well for the wicked. God says, from my perspective, it's already over. They've already lost. So Asaph has this, this moment. His eyes are open. He has this light bulb moment. He realizes the people he's been jealous of, he now realizes, I don't need to be jealous of these guys. I see what's going to happen. I see the end of the road for them. Comes down to the fourth section here, and this is the fool unfettered. This is the fool unfettered. Why am I calling him a fool? Because he says in verse 22, So foolish was I. <laughs> Ever get to the point where, oh, boy, I was dumb. Boy, I was stupid. When he gets that moment and he realizes the truth, by the way, the truth he already knew because he said it in verse number one. He gets up and says, How dumb was I? Says, thus my heart was grieved. I was pricked. He said, my, my heart, my soul was grieved because I, boy, I can't believe I doubted. I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I despaired. So foolish, I'm ignorant. I was, just a, I was like a dumb dog. I can't believe I, I didn't think this through at all. You should notice, he doesn't get arrogant when he comes back to his senses. He doesn't get arrogant. It actually pricks his heart. It humbles him before God. And by the way, I find that to be true. Most of the time when God corrects me, I don't go, <laughs> look at me, I'm somebody now. Quite the opposite. It's humbling. It's humbling to have God take your heart and shift it and fix it. His heart is broken in his unbelief. He's hum he, he, so you know what happened here? He's humbled before God. Why had he doubted God? Because... Here's the thing. He was lifted up in his pride. 
of pride. Why his pride? Because he trusted his own reasoning over what God said. That's pride. I'm lifting myself up above God. He says, I'm going to trust my own reasoning, my own eyes, because I'm looking at these wicked people. I'm not pointing anybody specifically. But I'm looking at these wicked people over here, and I'm saying, boy, that looks like they got it good. But when I get over here and see it from God's perspective, well, I see what's really going on. And he says, I trusted myself other than God. That's pride. what it is. I think that these verses, 21 through 24, are the most important in this psalm because this is where it shifts. This is where we need to come to. We know the truth. We forgot the truth. The truth is brought back to us. And now here's our reaction to it. Here is where our heart problem is fixed. And by the way, you said, well, God's taking you to the woodshed here. Yes, in a sense he is. Is this a bad place to be? I'm going to tell you something. This isn't a bad place to be. This is the place we need to go to. Listen, I hate hospitals. I hate ERs. But there's times you need an ER. Sometimes you need these things. And that's what this is. This is a very needed place. Not a place you want to stay all the time, but this is a good place to be in a God fixing us. We remorse of our sin. By the way, that's key there. I thought about that. But not just, I, 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 when I originally wrote this, I thought I put, we confess our sin. I thought, no, it's more than that. I'm not just saying, hey God, by the way, I messed up again. But I'm remorseful. For, God, I can't believe My heart is broken that I failed. My heart is broken that I turned away from you. Remorse. Then we confess and then we repent, we turn, we change. There's a change that takes place. I ask, and it's a probing question, when's the last time you had to go to God and do that? When's the last time you had to go to God and say, God, I can't believe I did that. I know what I did. It breaks my heart. Here's what I did. You know it already. I'm going to tell you exactly what I did. I'm going to confess it to you. And God, I'm laying that before you. And God, I don't want to do that again. I'm turning around and going a different direction. And God, help me never to fall into that trap again. John, 1 John 1.10. We often use this verse in a different context, but I thought about it here. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. If anybody ought to know how far we fall before the glory of God, how far short we come, it's a Christian. We know. We, we ought to be so conscious of our wrongdoing. It shouldn't take a sermon to break our heart. It shouldn't take God putting this flat on our back. I'm going to tell you something. Our conscience and the Holy Spirit's pricking our heart ought to constantly be working within us, saying, turn, change. If we have nothing to repent of, honestly, we're delusional. We are delusional. We're blind to our wrongdoings or think we're better than we are. You don't need to run from the place of repentance. You need to run to it. Here we find the, foe, the, or the fool unfettered. He's been a fool, but now he's breaking free from those chains. Now he's freed from it. And we get to the last section here, verses 25 through 28. And now we see the faith unfurled, like un, uh, unleashing a banner in the wind. He's going to start praising God. He's going to start saying, my goodness, look at him. 
the faith he had doubted and he kind of held within him, now he is proclaiming to the world, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare. So I got the unfold. I may declare all thy works. We started with the truth that we couldn't feel, we couldn't remember. We fell into sin by admiring the wicked and their supposed success. We remembered the truth when we were around the things of God and His truth. We confessed our sin. We repented of it. Now we're back to the good part. We had to, it took us a while to get here, but this is where we need to be at. This is, this, is, this is where life really ought to be. We just need to sometimes get corrected to get back here. It's been a rough journey, but it's worth it. Our faith is not only restored, but it's strengthened. Now we lift up the praises of God. Now we declare His glory to the world around us. Now we lift high His royal banner in the words of the old hymn. I want you to note here the, the progression, and, and it's, a, it's a roadmap to get to this place. First off, there's a truth of God that reveals our sin. That's what happened. He went to the tabernacle. The truth of God being preached, sung, on display before him it revealed what was wrong within him. Second, we bow in repentance for our sins. There has to be a change. Not just knowing I'm wrong. There has to be that remorse, that confession, that repentance. And then third, we come to that place of worship. Sometimes we fear drawing near to God. It's one of those litmus tests in my own heart that I, I use is, uh, am I hesitant? for the things of God. I said, boy, I don't, I don't really want to go to church. How do I feel about revival? Do I really want revival? If there's something in my heart that shirks away from us, like something's not right. Well, I don't really want that. Follow an illustration, forgive me, but as far as the Dick Van Dyke show, there's one of the early episodes of that, little Richie is sick. And I said, how sick is he? She, she says, he didn't pass the cupcake test. So they said, here, Richie, you want a cupcake? He said, no, I don't want it. I said, boy, he is sick. He didn't want a cupcake. Well, when I said, do I want the things God? No, I really don't. There's something's wrong in my heart. It's a test. We can, you can kind of self-test yourself on that. You test your own heart. But we're afraid of drawing near to God. We, we're afraid He will judge us. But can I tell you, all who enter through the door of repentance find grace and mercy with Him. I like John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Well, that's talking about salvation. Well, why wouldn't it talk about when we're born again too? Is he going to cast out his own child? Oh, no. When we come back to him, he's not going to cast us out. Once you go through that door, you can say like Asaph did, it is good for me to draw near to God. And you see the sweetness, the goodness God says, my goodness is good to me. Yeah. So musicians come, just a few thoughts. 
First off, remember that the truth is unfazed by our feelings. I don't I want to highlight that. But what had to change? Did the truth have to change? No, Asaph had to change. He had to fix his own heart. He had to recalibrate his heart. It's the same thing with us. We don't have to fix the truth or fix the Bible or fix Christianity to fit us. We need to fit ourselves to the rule. Fit ourselves and our hearts and our minds to the truth. Second, I'll say note. The change in heart was made when Asaph was immersed in the house of God and the things of God. can't emphasize that one enough. If you want to change your heart, you really need to be around things that will help you draw you, help you point to Him. Things that will encourage you. Sometimes things will help knock off the rough edges. But you need to be around the things of God to draw closer to Him. Part of drawing nigh to God is being in His places and around His people. Third, repentance is something we must do for salvation. It is required for salvation. We have to repent. We have to turn from all else and trust only in Him. But it's also something we must do in the Christian life. Because even though we're sheep of His flock, we still wander. We still stray. We still falter. We still fail. But no matter what the case is, Christ calls to us, come home. And he's there with open arms to welcome us back. And last, I want to ask you, are you on the winning side? You know, last night I was watching a little bit of the baseball game, the World Baseball Classic. I think it's kind of cool. we got all these countries and things. And, uh, although I found out the Great Britain team, I think only 5% of those players are actually from Britain. There's not very many of them. So uh, Israel. Israel, I think, has 5% of the people actually from Israel. But anyway, it's a neat deal. It's kind of like the Olympics. They got all these baseball teams representing these countries and they're playing. So it, I, I enjoy it. We were watching Great Britain and America were playing last night. And honestly, if we know who should win that game, I'm kind of worried after a couple innings. Um, if we can't beat the Brits in baseball, we ought to just surrender. Uh, just, you know, that's our sport. We ought to be able to stomp them in that. But this, watching that and all the people there gathered in the stands and they played it over in Arizona at the Diamondback Stadium. All the people, they had people dressed up like Ben Franklin and stuff, you know, just kind of overdoing the patriotic America thing. They scored a run, everybody was like, USA, USA. Everybody, they wanted to be on the winning side, did they not? And before the game, you probably say, yeah, I know who's going to win, like they're going to beat Mike Trout and these other guys, the best baseball players in the world, outside of Shohei Otani. They're really going to beat, you know, these guys. Are they really going to beat the Americans? Probably not. But everybody wants to be on that winning side. Here's the thing. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. You don't have to say, boy, I hope I did enough good to be on the winning side when all things are, are over. That's not how it works. God says, I'm going to win, and here's how you get on my side. He says, we confess our sins. We trust in Him fully, in our faith in Him. We call out to Him for salvation. And we're on the winning side. No matter what happens, we're not going to get kicked off that side. We're not going to get kicked off that team. We're one of His, we're one of His forever. The most important thing in all the world is make sure you're on that winning side. That you know Him as your Savior. I trust that you do this morning. If not, get that settled before it's too late. You'll stand, please. We'll have a timely invitation. What number there, Owen? 109 in the Heavenly Highways. We'll sing along with the invitation tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, simple message, but my, how it 
challenged my heart putting this together and preaching it. I love this story. I love the honesty that Asaph puts in here. That He's not trying to lift himself up, but really, he, any of us could have wrote this. Sometimes we, we get our eyes off the right thing. Sometimes our heart and mind wander, and we need to come back to you. What a great example he sets here before us. What a great pattern is laid out before us for us to follow for our good, to draw us back to you. Lord, help this simple lesson, these simple thoughts, be a blessing, a challenge to us. And Lord, help us always realize that you're there, not just for salvation, to open arms for all to come back, but Lord, even for us Christians who wander away, that you're still there. You're still there to welcome us back to you, to forgive us. Lord, what wonderful love you display towards us. Lord, just press these truths in our heart. Challenge us, I pray, with this message and this time. I pray in the holy name. Amen. Mm-hmm.